0: Everyone has an agenda, right? Maybe you've even said that sentence. You've definitely heard it said. Now, whether you're working in a cafeteria cleaning staff or you're the president of the United States or you're looking at an internet ad, every single one of those has an agenda. You know as well as I do, When we hear an opinion or a perspective, it's not typically an isolated thought it's connected to a broader worldview or perspective or plan. And so when you think about this on a micro level, like a meeting agenda, if you don't have an agenda for a meeting, that meeting is going to be chaos, people talking over each other, disorderly, and it's going to be long, long, long. You can probably tell I'm not a big fan of long meetings. (laughs) But you look at this on a bigger level, macro. If a president goes about and doesn't have an agenda, nothing is going to get done. His administration will be useless. And of course, the same thing for a church family too. If we don't have an agenda, if we don't have a path moving forward, we're not going to see all the incredible callings that God has put before us. Now, Every single day, you and I are sifting through a ton of agendas. That best friend, yet worst time waster in our pocket, known as our phone, has a way of having us sift through all these things, evaluating what is true and what's not. So as we look at God's agenda today, and we evaluate it, what do you think we're going to uncover? What is God's agenda for our church family? What is God's agenda for your life? God's agenda, it's often unanticipated. In fact, I know you all know this. God has this special way of taking where we thought we're going to go in life and then altering it completely in another different direction That's the beginning of the prophet Jeremiah's story. So let's set the scene here. Jeremiah, he grew up in a small town in Judah, which is the southern part of modern-day Israel today, in a family that was known for being worship leaders, nothing special, at least not on the surface. He was in his young 20s, but even at that young age, he had seen and heard unspeakable things. He had witnessed God's chosen people choose anything and everything besides the God who loved them dearly. He had experienced God's chosen leaders not serving out of love or for the good of their people, but for selfish aims and for pleasure. And he had heard stories. He had heard stories about their relatives up north, the Israelites, who were deported, ripped from their homes, never to return, all because of a world powers agenda in Assyria. And of course he knew what the prophets up there had to endure. As their people were led into darkness, those prophets knew what that felt like, being shunned and abused and rejected. Jeremiah looked about his life and thought, you know what, if I can live a quiet, uneventful, normal life, away from all the crazy and chaos, that'd be more than I could ever hope for. But God had different plans. And Jeremiah's life agenda flipped on edge. You all heard it in Jeremiah 1. All of that thought of having this peaceful life, avoiding the hard truths of God's word, that all changed when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Wow. This is amazing. I mean before Jeremiah's parents even had a thought in their mind about having a child, God knew Jeremiah. And this kind of knowing, it's it's a deep kind of knowing. Not the kind of knowing where you type in a name on Wikipedia, quick glance through it. This is the deepest of knowing. A kind of knowing that can only come through the tightest of relationships. And God had that with Jeremiah before Jeremiah even knew who himself, Jeremiah, was. And he had formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb for one incredible purpose, to be his prophet to all people. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a daunting and intimidating task. And so we can totally empathize with Jeremiah when he calls back to God. He replies and he says, wait a minute. Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Now, in Hebrew, that word, alas, it literally sounds like, ah! Like, he's, he's freaking out here. There's no doubt about it. It's understandable. You know, Jeremiah knew what prophets went through. And he looks at himself, he does a self-evaluation, and he says, God, do you know who you're talking to? I'm in my 20s. I'm not trained in doing this. I don't know how to speak in public. Jeremiah, like 75% of the world population today, at least it's estimated, was more terrified of public speaking than death right here. He says, God, you have the wrong guy. I don't have the social standing. I don't have the life experience. How do you expect me to bring your message to people? They're not going to buy it. It's going to be a failure. I'm going to be a failure. Lord, I know what's happened to your prophets. I know when you bring the message of law to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow like you just said, it doesn't end well for them. Lord, I am way out of my league. You don't want me. You don't want to set me apart. I can't do this. You know, maybe that's how you felt in your own Christian calling, that you're way out of your league. Even though you know, just like Jeremiah, that God knew you, and he formed you in your own mother's womb in just the right way, for just the right moment, so you could be set apart for his agenda to bring the message of the Lord to all people in all walks of life. You know how easy it is for you and I to look at ourselves through the lens of those Jeremiah brand excuses, right? And maybe for you, it's, Lord, I, I don't have the experience and I don't have the expertise. I'm not trained in this. What if I say the wrong thing and I'm talking to somebody about you? I don't want to mess this up. Which, by the way, those thoughts don't just go away when you go through the seminary and become a pastor. <laughs> or maybe it's that second part of Jeremiah, the I am too young thing. No, Lord, okay, wait a minute. Let's wait 10 years Let I me mean, get my family life in order, get my estate settled, get my job in a good situation. Then I'll be ready for the calling you've set me apart for. And of course, with all these temptations, there's that one that's always there for believers to take this message of truth that we have that's so real and so authentic, but take off the hard edges of it, to think that, okay, people in our society, and our culture, they won't be able to understand it the way that I know it. So I've got I to gotta make it something that's more palatable, something that will have more success, at least outwardly. And so we're tempted to talk about Jesus as a social justice warrior or a self-help guru or a doting grandfather who just affirms how we feel or what we already think. And that's all part of an entirely different agenda. The agenda of abandonment. An agenda enacted and enforced by the father of lies himself and his colleagues, sin, self, and death. See, the devil knows that if we buy into any other agenda, whether it's socially charged or politically motivated or emotionally based or intellectually centered, if we focus on anything besides God's agenda, We're going to end up in the wilderness of sin, the sands of sin. Apart from the garden of grace, we're filled with the gospel, replenished by the water of life, Jesus himself. He knows if he can get us to buy into that sand, it's going to lead us more and more to that place, capital A, abandonment. That's what hell means. It's that place where God's presence isn't there at all. It's that place we're completely isolated from him and his goodness towards us. And the father of lies accomplishes this because he's also the father of excuses. Now he loves to feed excuse after excuse into our hearts to make us forget about who God is. That we focus more on our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures, forgetting the whole time who our God is and the promise that he's given us to give us the words to speak when the moment calls for them. But here's the thing about our God. And you saw this in the gospel of Jesus when the demons started speaking. He can tell him when to be quiet. He doesn't let this conversation go on. He doesn't let these excuses and lies keep on going. He halts it. And that's what God does with Jeremiah here. He cuts in, he disperses the fog of lies, and he says, do not say, I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and, whatever, and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. And I love that. Jeremiah has not articulated what these enemies are that he's talking about. But God, remember, God knows him. God knows the them. He knows the enemies that Jeremiah is scared of. Don't be afraid of them. It's unqualified. Whatever that is that gives you fear, don't be afraid of it. For I am with you and I will rescue you. The fear of failure is so real. And the last person we would ever want to let down is God. But here's the beauty of God's agenda. He's not sending you on a solo mission. See, God, he knows you. In fact, he knows you. He knew you before reality itself knew you. God, just like with Jeremiah, he formed you just the right way. Set apart for his agenda in your own life context, for a specific and amazing reason. Think deeply about this for a minute. The God of the universe, the God who makes the universe look like a tic-tac and compared to all of his glory and his grace and his power and his strength, that's the God who chose to know you. wants to be a part of every single thing that you do in your life. Who looked throughout the entirety of eternity and all of history, and he picked right here, right now, put together as you are, to bring his message of peace and hope to people who without you would never get to hear it. Wow. That's the same God who says, I am with you. No matter what you face, there's no enemy that's bigger than me. My presence is here for you always. I am here, so don't be afraid. And don't be afraid that you won't have the right thing to say. I'm going to give you the words to speak. I think this is so cool with Jeremiah this same God who has chosen us, who has set us apart for his agenda, he literally puts his fingers on Jeremiah's taste buds and he puts his words at the tip of his tongue and he's done the same thing for you and me through the scriptures. He says, wait a minute. Don't wallow in your shortcomings and weaknesses. Forget about that. You're special to me. I've chosen you. I've set you apart. I have an amazing purpose for you. I'm with you. I'll rescue you. Now we look at that, and in one sense, according to the new identity, the new person that each of us has through faith and baptism, we say, "Lord, send me, I'm ready, let's go." But you know as well as I do that there's that other side, right? The sinful nature, that original sin, that side of us that looks at us and says, "Lord, not me." I mean, after all, who wants to be the one to confront a best friend about a sin they're struggling with? Who wants to face rejection head- on? who wants to risk losing your social standing or your intellectual respect or whatever it may be because of what you believe. Sinful nature says, I don't want any part of that. But who you really are says, yes, Lord, I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm with you. You're with me. We can do this. See, that's the mission that we have and that's who our God is. He's the God who doesn't let you think that you're alone but walks with you in the scripture. He's a God who just like with Jeremiah here says, I'm the sovereign Lord. I'm the master. You are the Padawan learner of life. I had to get a Star Wars reference in here. You are not in control. I am. Where you are in your life right now is not a mistake. I have you right where I want you and my grace is at your side. See, we think about this, you and I know that we have spiritual enemies that are going to come at us, right? Spiritual enemies who are going to be close-talking us, violating spiritual social distancing, (laughs) telling us all these lies and excuses. But God says, no, I'm not going to let them get their way. You are mine. You've been set apart. And this is why I set you apart, because I love you And I've forgiven you for every single time that you failed to act and failed to speak and enjoy. I'm going to pick you back up. And we're going to do this together because this isn't a solo mission. This is my mission. So then how do you and I, how do we respond to God's mission? How do we respond to this agenda that he's put before us? Well, believe it or not, that mission statement is in every single one of our worship folders every single week in the back, typically. It's the agenda, the worship, the mission statement of our church family here at Christ. What is that? Christ Lutheran Church is joined together through God's love or by God's love through our Savior Jesus Christ, number one, to worship the Lord. Now that worship doesn't start and end at this site. This is a huge part of it, right? That Christian community, we all need that. But it's a worship-filled life that in everything we do, we're thinking about it through the lens of Jesus, that we're marveling at our God, that he's put us where he's put us. His strength and grace is always within us and for us. And we just dwell on God's presence, how he's always here. It leads to the next step of studying his word. Because we know that God deeply knows us. He knows us better than we're ever going to know ourselves. And so in turn, we want to deeply know him and everything he's told us about himself and to run this race with him. Which, of course, leads to the third step of our mission statement. To share God's love with all people. Because once you've experienced it for yourself, it's contagious. And you've got to get out of your system because you know the hope and the joy that you have in Jesus. And like the consultant said last week, if we do all these things, which we will and we have, it's not going to mean outward growth and success necessarily. At least not the way the world looks at it. There's going to be times where we're going to be called to use the law to uproot and to destroy people's preconceived notions of what life should be and what spirituality is and what truth is. But of course, we're always looking ahead to that building, that planning, taking people from the sands of sin, being the one to bring the word that transplants them to the garden of grace through the gospel. It may mean that we're going to lose our respect with some people. It may mean that people look down on us for being simple for believing Christianity, but you and I know it's so worth it. Because we know what God's agenda is all about. And we see God's agenda through Jesus. The same God, again, in comparison to God, the universe is like a tic-tac. That same God entered into that tic-tac. Entered into this world. And he shows us what his agenda is. Here he is in Capernaum, like we heard in the gospel. He could have stayed there where people loved him and were adoring him and were always around him, wanted him to touch everything in their lives. But he said, wait, I'm not here to set up a utopia. I'm here to do my father's will. Your will be done. And I'm gonna bring this message. I need to. I need to bring it to the people who need me, who are in desperate need of hope. When you talk about outward success, at the end of Jesus's ministry, there was one left. He was alone. Even his friends deserted him, his closest friends. To the world, he looked like a loser, hanging there on a cross, capital punishment. But you and I know the results of that. That's why we're here today. See, what Jesus' agenda is all about is love. The more he chose to love, the more he chose to suffer. In spite of everything we've done, he wanted to do all he could and he did. He accomplished it. He took away all of our sins once and for all. It's through his mercy that he overcame our misery. That's how God's agenda came to be. Here's the heart of the matter this morning. God's agenda doesn't revolve around the ideas of worldly success or failure. It's far deeper than that. God's agenda isn't all about popularity, but authenticity and eternity. God's agenda is about something that's far deeper than even life itself. As it's his agenda that has set you apart for his purpose. And we've talked this morning a lot about agendas. We've also talked a little bit about legacies, right? Maybe right now you're looking at your life, looking back at all the chapters that God has brought you through. All of us at one day will have to come to grips with that. And I pray that when you do, you remember Jeremiah chapter 1. Because there's one sentence in there that will always define who you are and what you're about. God is with me. That one sentence brings us through every challenge we could ever hope to face, every adversity that we know we're going to face. God is with me. It's that legacy we want to pass down to the next generation of our children, the next generation of believers who don't know the hope that they have. And it's that legacy that's going to lead you to that heart pounding, heart stopping moment when you are face to face with the one who knew you before time knew you, who formed you in just the right way, who set you apart, who died so you could be his own and who lives so you could live, live under him in righteousness and innocence and blessedness, that you could live knowing that there's a God who set you apart for his glory, his purpose, a God who is for you. Of whom can we be? Shall we be afraid if God is for us? Everyone has an agenda, but only Jesus has the agenda. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.